This podcast is brought to you by DMX, made by the largest global e-discovery software and service provider, Epic. DMX delivers e-discovery business intelligence in North America, Europe, and Asia, and is powered by Microsoft. To learn more about how you can use DMX on your next e-discovery project, go to epicsystems.com slash DMX. This episode is also sponsored by Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need. To request a trial, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law. I'm Josh Block. Welcome to Big Law Business. This podcast focuses on the business of law, how the largest corporate law departments and their law firms do business. On the Big Law Business website, we recently published an article about women who leave Big Law to start their own law firms. This is the second episode in a two-part podcast where we discuss some of the ideas in that article. For the recording, I was joined by Nicole Galley. Nicole is a lawyer who spent over two decades in Big Law before starting her own law firm in 2015. And last year, she launched Women Owned Law, a national networking group for women-owned law firms. I'm also joined by Stephanie Russell Kraft, the author of the article. Stephanie interviewed more than 20 women who had left Big Law to start their own firms for her story, and she tells me here about the commonalities that she found among those women. So I talked sort of on the record, not not all of them ended up in the story, uh, but just over about 20 women who had uh, left Big Law and started their own firms. That sort of specifically was what I was looking at. A lot of the common, and obviously, you know, there were some outliers and everyone had a very different path, but some of the big areas were A, just a frustration with the structure of big law and sort of like the daily slights and sort of dealing with maybe the, that, you know, the managing partner that makes that comment or I don't know, just sort of like that, that day-to-day bias that, that women, um, ran up against and I talked to a couple women who, you know, maybe gone to two different firms and then said, you know, like I thought about taking another job at a different law firm, but I felt like it would be the same. And that was sort of a a big feeling that I got that it was, it was rarely firm specific. It was sort of just like the industry is not somewhere where I want to be. So moving from one firm to the other, you know, it might be a little bit better, but I'm still going to be dealing with these same issues. Um, another big one that we mentioned was, um, you know, just the ability to have that control a over sort of structure, but also over compensation and whether, and not all the women make more money now, you know, some of them said they sort of took a pay cut, but they're sort of, they're taking home more of what they're bringing in. You know, maybe it's overall less, but it's sort of, they have ownership of that. And, and I think, you know, those were two of the big things. And one of the commonalities also was that most of these women were, uh, as Nicole just mentioned, pretty far along in their careers. You know, a lot of them are partners and they weren't, you know, sort of that there's a I think the, a big narrative um, and this is true a lot of women do leave as we see sort of between uh, you know associate and partner level maybe around like fifth or fourth year associates that's where a lot of women leave the profession but what I started to notice is what gets lost in that I think these statistics in you know we have this huge jump from 45% of associates that are women down to 22% of partners 
sort of intuitively you think, okay, all the women are leaving while they're associates and then they don't make partner. But what I sort of was started to realize is, okay, but women are making partner and then they're still leaving. So it's not like they get there and then they're set. And well, that's something isn't that, there also like, there's this notion, I think somebody had this quote in your story and there was this notion of like, you could stay and fight the fight and try and change the firm. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that some of the women just said, why, you know, I don't, I don't want to do that. And it's sort of fighting up. It, it, it's like, how do I change the structure of an entire firm or industry? Or how do I change the culture? And some, you know, some women do want to fight that fight and work extra hard. Um, and, and I had a conversation with uh, Hillary Bass, the, the incoming ABA president, where she said, yeah, there are a lot of, she's in a leadership position. She's no, like at the top. Clear. We know that you know, some, and, there's right, a percentage. And, so. and she said, you know, like she, she's about to become ABA president. She's, a, you know, co-president of Greenberg Traurig, but she said, we're still at a point where we're sort of pointing at their exceptional women. Of course, like we're, you know, 50 years ago, we were in a totally different place. And now, you know, we have women that are running firms, they're partners, they're in leadership positions, but there's still, you have to be like the, a super woman to get there. And and what she said is when, I know that we've really made it, when just like your average, smart, hardworking woman is going to get to the same place as the average smart, hardworking man. And she, that's what she was saying is there, there's the disconnect. You still have to be the superstar who's willing to sort of push through all of that. And there are a lot of those women, but I think a lot of women are just like, why, why would I do this when I can have the same type of fulfilling practice, practice the same type of law, maybe on a slightly different type of case, but no less complicated or interesting. You know, maybe I'm getting like a smaller piece of this big litigation pie, but it's super great work and I'm still taking home a lot of money and I can control my hours and, and I'm my own boss. And a lot of women are, that I spoke to just wanted to do that instead. From what you're reporting and the work that Nicole, that you're doing, and I wonder if there isn't, you know, a question to be asked is, is this the answer? Why are we trying to make firms change if maybe the answer is women should just start their own firms and compete for the business? I mean, you know, is that taking it a step too far? I don't think so. And frankly, uh, as we started to flesh out and develop the mission and goals of Women Own Law, a number of us who are leading the organization came to that realization. Um, one of the things that had motivated me to move in this direction with the organization was seeing just continuously seeing the diversity or the, con the conversation about diversity in the law and how the focus of that conversation has, has really been about how do we get more, you know, women to partner in large firms? How do we get them to equity partner? How do we get them to management? And those are all very valid goals. So I, I'm not saying that they're not, but my personal frustration, and I think those shared by others of us leading the group, is that that isn't the only option. And I think uh, Emily Kirsch, who's on our board, who's profiled in the article, um, she had indicated, you know, this sense, and I think it's true for men or women, um, this sense of, you know, failure, that if you leave a big firm, somehow, you know, you've not made it. Um, that needs to stop, and I think it needs to stop for men and women because, uh, you know, when you look at it, that's just one way to practice law, and I think there was a feeling for many years that that was the only way to have a sophisticated legal practice in certain areas or represent, you know, certain types of, of clients and certain types of matters, and I just think overall for men and women that's 
that's not true anymore. Um, probably one of the biggest sort of final straws for me from this perspective came with seeing the work done with the Stanford Diversity Hackathon. And there were uh, no women-owned law firms as part of that process. Now, I don't know all about... Um, you know, how that decision was made, and I understand what the goals of it were, which were, again, trying to promote women in, in the Amlot 200 firms. Um, but it was in, one of our other board members, Carolyn Elephant, who's a well-known legal commentator, uh, had written about this very issue, and, and I reached out to her, having not known her before, and asked her to get involved in our organization because she saw it as well, which is, wait a minute, there are women who are doing this and who are creating their own firms, creating their own uh, work environments that are different, and why is no one talking about it? So, you know, one of our hopes is to, and, and I think it's happening, is to uh, raise that conversation and to let folks know, and, and particularly young women coming into the profession, as well as men, that there are alternatives. And, you know, having your own business, just like with a lot of other businesses, um, maybe, you know, the right one for the right person. I heard that uh, from a couple different women sort of that were um, that I spoke with for this piece that sort of like you were saying, sort of were frustrated with this idea that being a partner at a big, you know, a top, like an AMLA 100 firm is the ultimate goal and sort of like the assumed ultimate goal of everyone's career. And a couple different women said a variation of, you know, I don't I don't need to make partner at like XYZ firm. I can make partner at, you know, my name firm. And wh why is that not? also, you know, enough and sort of challenging the expectation that there's sort of this like hierarchy of where you should be. And, and some of them, you know, mentioned that the drawback is, you know, maybe there's still, you know, the really big firms have a certain amount of prestige and power and a seat at the table. And, you know, a lot of the women I spoke with, they recognize that they're challenging that and, but they still, you know, it's not like they can just say, oh, the MLA 100 doesn't matter. You know, those firms have a certain amount of power, but they, the, a lot of the women were are hoping to change that and sort of change the narrative of you know running your own firm as an alternative and not like something lesser. We've talked about compensation. There was also a study recently that talked about when women do make partner the the disparity in compensation even from partners and I think even equity partners at uh, in big law. Do you have those numbers? Yeah, uh, according to the National Association of Women Lawyers, at the median, the typical female equity partner um, in the two in the top 200 firms earns about 80% of uh, what the typical male equity partner makes. So, you know, a lot of there's a there's still a huge wage gap there and there's a a lot of factors that go into that. And that's actually been the subject of some of the lawsuits I mentioned earlier against uh, some big law firms uh, where women are sort of pointing to specific numbers and saying they brought in X amount of business and they're not being uh, paid the same amount. And that's, that came up, you know, the, the topic of conversation, uh, compensation came up in a lot of my conversations. And when women leave and start their own firms, are they finding, is it all over the place? They're making about the same, they're making more, they're making less? It's a little all over the place. Uh, it really depended on sort of the, the type of practice area and what, you know, um, a lot of the women had different goals. The, the one thing that they all had in common was that they felt 
they were sort of mostly happy with what they were making. Some were making more. Some were said, you know, it's a, it's comparable. It's pretty much the same. Some said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm making slightly less, but I'm taking home my like the entire share that is my fair share. And I'm not sort of fighting over taking, you know, I'm happy taking maybe a 20 percent pay cut because I'm in complete control of that. And maybe I'm not, you know, I don't have to work with that. So it's more fair when you're the one bringing in the business and then you're deciding to, you know, you're the only one taking in you know, everything that you bring in versus trying to, to make sure that you're getting the right credit and, and all that. Yeah, I think that's very consistent with what I've been hearing from colleagues as well. I, I think that um, while you know certainly the amount of compensation is important, I think that sense of fairness um, and the sense that you know you're getting your fair share of what you're contributing is really been the paramount uh, concern that we're hearing. And you know, most of us who are starting firms, I think at this stage in our careers, it's a very conscious decision and we're business people. And so, you know, it's not a question where like we understand the economics. We understand, you know, if I do X, you know, I can charge, you know, a certain amount, bring in certain business and you can try to influence that, of course. Um, but like any other, you know, practice, there's ups and downs and, you know, clients come and go, et cetera. But that knowing that at least you're getting your fair share of what you've been able to accomplish, I think has been critical for, for most folks. When you go back to these law firms and you come to them and you and you you cite these statistics and you tell them about your your findings, do, do they tell you that we are changing? Do they tell you that we have changed? Like, what's the response? A lot of firms that I speak to sort of point to bigger picture changes. You know, like saying that there has been progress compared to you know fifty years ago, and that and a lot of law firms tend to also point to you know specifics. And this and this is something that I come across in a lot of my reporting. There's in response to you know there you know a low number of uh, you know women in partnership positions firms like to highlight the women that have succeeded you know and say oh we have this many women leading practice groups and we just promoted this many people to partner and so i mean i you know i'll take their word for it there's an honest effort there but it's it's hard i think to when what I'm hearing is a lot uh, from the women who leave is that it's so much of it is a structural problem and this like cultural problem that I think, you know, is sort of difficult to address with a with a, just like a tweak in policy. But, you know, the law, whenever I speak to law firms, they say that it's, it's something that's at the top of their minds and they're working on it. But and sometimes some of them have been frank and say that they're just as frustrated with the lack of progress as, you know, everyone else seems to be. So. Where do you think we are now and moving along, moving forward? Is women leaving big law to start their own firms a trend that will continue to grow? Are large law firms making the kind of meaningful changes that make them more welcoming to women? I definitely think it's a trend. I think that, you know, it's not a week goes by now and maybe I'm just more focused on it than previously. Um, but when I don't see somebody leaving, you know, a large law firm or even a smaller law firm to start their own practice. Um, and I think it's been going on for a while. I think really it's, it's been highlighted. I've, as we've been talking, I've been thinking about a book that was published by the ABA Commission on Women in 2011 uh, under Bobby Liebenberg's 
tenure called The Road to Independence. Uh, and it's a wonderful story, particularly for women who are thinking about starting their own law firms. Uh, it profiles 101 women um, who started firms going, you know, way back into the early, you know, first half of the, the uh, 20th century. And that the way that the book ended up being structured was on a chronological basis, first by decades, and then starting in 2000, they actually had to break it into five-year periods. Um, Stephanie Scharf also worked on this project with Bobby, and Stephanie had mentioned to me that that structure was not the one they had started with. They had actually been um, thinking about something else, but they had seen, you know, what what becomes apparent when you read the book, this progression in sort of the reasons why women were starting firms and the type of practices that women were having and, and really the numbers. Um, and, you know, so early on it was maybe because they didn't have other alternatives, et cetera. Uh, in the 90s, a lot of it was work-life balance reasons. Um, and one example from Stephanie's story would be my law school classmate and friend, Laura Solomon, who left and started what's now an extraordinarily successful uh, woman-owned firm. And she left in the 90s for work-life balance reasons and maintained her practice in that way for quite a while until her children got older. Um, but then starting in the 2000s, it was women who had already made partner and who are not leaving for work-life balance reasons, but were leaving for business reasons. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think that trend is going to change. Um, I think that, you know, entrepreneurship in general in this country has become more acceptable, um, more common. I think when you look at, you know, the younger generations that are coming up who really don't have any other, not any other uh, sort of model in front of them, except that, you know, people are starting businesses, whether it's the tech industry or whatnot. I think you you will see younger women saying, I can do this myself. It takes a lot of effort and hard work and a lot of sacrifice, whether you're a man or woman, to make it to partner, let alone a, a you know, a prominent position in a large law firm. Um, it's not an easy profession. And so I think that anything that can help uh, practicing attorneys make that more manageable is, is certainly something that's, that's likely to continue. Whether large um, law firms will change, I can tell you that one of our hopes at Women Own Law that, that we came to is that to the extent that more women are leaving and striking out on their own and setting up essentially competing firms, and in particular, one of our goals is to help women-owned law firms grow. Um, I've said this you know, in other contexts, but every single law firm, large law firm in the country and frankly the world, started out as a couple of guys in an office somewhere. And so, yeah, it might have taken 100 years or more to reach the size of Denton's, but that will happen. There are women who are focused on making that happen for their law firms right now. And, you know, competition is, is critical and frankly is what drives change. And so as women start to grow their firms and compete for clients and talent, uh, I can't help but think that there's going to, that systemic change that is so hard to obtain when the status quo is working for the individuals who are in control. Um, when it stops working is when I think you're going to get real change. I think it's really impossible because there's an inherent tension there. It's working for the people who are, who are, it's working for, you know, and who are, are essentially, 
reaping the additional 20%. And while it's not, people want to do the right thing and be altruistic, um, it's very difficult if you can't uh, have a compelling reason to make a change and make a difference to, do, to make those kinds of, of challenging and, and difficult decisions um, for the long-term good. So I don't know if I can say whether or not there that I've seen a trend in my reporting. And part of the problem is just the lack of data. And, you know, anecdotally, there's a trend. But because no one's been measuring this, I it's really hard to really say. And that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to to some organizations like Women on Law that are starting to collect this data into, into the ABA research project next year. Because, you know, as a reporter, too, it's really hard to to write about something, to really measure something when there's, you know, there's no organization tracking it. I don't have the resources to go around and count every women-owned law firm and really do a comprehensive study. So I, I feel like there is a trend, but I, you know, I don't, we don't, it's hard to really pinpoint that. One thing I did notice is a lot of the women, um, mentioned that they didn't necessarily think about starting their own firms until they spoke with someone who had done it and then realized like, oh, you know, I can do that. Or some of them said, you know, it seemed like this really overwhelming, daunting task to start my own firm. And yeah, it was a lot of work, but it actually was easier than I thought. And so I think in that sense, maybe, you know, the fact that there are more women talking about it and, and more being written about it, that might sort of give other women the idea to do it. So that actually could create more of a trend. Um, in terms of whether or not big law is changing enough to really you know, change the numbers, that that's a really hard question. You know, it, I know there are a lot of efforts, and I think it really depends on the firm. There's a pretty huge differences in you know, some firms that are really um, doing great jobs. I think one thing that I've seen that that seems to be successful is, you know, like firms that really reimagine the way that they give origination credit. And that's sort of a structural change, too. So, you know, firms that really think about that, that big picture, I think are making big progress. But I also know a lot of associates uh, who are women in big law firms that are dealing with a lot of the frustrations that I've heard from, you know, women who've left. So that they're still they're still seeing a lot of the same stuff. And a lot of them, some of them have left big firms and some of them are looking to leave the firms that they're at. That's all for this episode. For more on the business of law, check out biglawbusiness.com. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is biglawbusiness at bna.com. Follow Big Law Business on Twitter at biglawbiz. Follow Women Owned Law on Twitter at Women Owned Law. Nicole, are you on Twitter? Uh, is it embarrassing to say I'm not? <laughs> okay, we'll get you on Twitter. Follow Stephanie at S. Russell Craft. Follow me at Josh Block NYC. Thank you to Sarah Patterson for recording our podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode. Subscribe on iTunes so that you don't miss it. This podcast is brought to you by DMX, made by the largest global e-discovery software and service provider, Epic. DMX delivers e-discovery business intelligence in North America, Europe, and Asia, and is powered by Microsoft. To learn more about how you can use DMX on your next e-discovery project, go to epicsystems.com slash DMX. This episode is also sponsored by Bloomberg Law, an all-in-one platform that provides fast access to the information law firms and legal departments need to request a trial, go to bna.com slash Bloomberg Law.